And always good to see everyone here today. Uh, great to gather with uh, brothers and sisters in the faith. And, and those who might be new to the Christian faith, welcome uh, during Christmas. And to get things going, I want to know, do you guys have any favorite Christmas memories or maybe even a favorite Christmas of all time? What comes to your mind when I ask that question? For some of you, remember, maybe you're remembering when you got exactly what you asked for. You opened the gift and there it was. That gaming system, that cell phone, that toy. You remember that moment. For others of you, it was the family. You remember when everyone was healthy, everyone was happy, and there was this glow in the household when, when everyone was there and the food was just right and everyone was getting along. For some of you, it might be experiencing something. You saw a production of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra or the Nutcracker, something that stuck in your mind. You're like, oh man, I'll never forget when we did that. When it comes to one of my favorite Christmas memories, I'll never forget when um, my parents who live in Orlando took us to Disney. We saw these lights. And while we were going to Disney, they gave us these glasses that turned every light bulb that you saw into a snowflake. And, and so now in the midst of Orlando, you see just snowflakes that are glowing. And I'm like, this is amazing. I love Disney. Right? But the only problem with having a favorite Christmas or a favorite Christmas memory is that every other Christmas isn't as good. And I do believe it's one of the reasons that, for many people, their hearts are heavy. Their hearts are heavy because they can remember when everything was good, when the siblings were getting along, when everyone was in mom and dad's household, and now things have changed. And especially in 2020, and we don't know, will we be able to gather and get together? It's a year of strife and conflict where, where maybe tensions rose a little higher this year than in years past. Many hearts are heavy because they're missing people. As time goes on and, and maybe a spouse is in heaven with the Lord or at least a grandparent, and the family gathering, it, it just looks different. And so for many people during Christmas, it's a very heavy time. Well, such is a case for a, a guy named Mark Schomer in Minnesota. Uh, this year he had lost his wife to Alzheimer's. And um, Mark wanted to have a way to remember her. Mark was hoping that God would give him some kind of sign uh, to remember the love of his wife. And so Mark tried to do everything just the same, and, and he went to go cut a Christmas tree. And while he was cutting a Christmas tree, he saw at the base of it, what do you see? A heart. And the red saw blade that he was using <laughs> made just the right stripes. And the people who own that Christmas uh, tree farm, they said they'd never seen anything like it, the Goldmans. And so he took that base and he's going to make something hanging on his, his wall and he's going to remember his wife even during Christmas. God showed up in a powerful way to give him comfort from his wife. Now, if your heart is heavy, I wish I could promise you, you know, God's going to make sure a heart comes out of your Christmas tree. I can't make that promise. I wish I could tell you he's going to give you some kind of sign or symbol. He's going to do something miraculous just like he did for Mark. 
can't make that promise. But here's what I do know. God does not waste a heavy heart. And God is even behind the reasons that he lets us feel our hearts tug and moan and feel broken at times. And the reason he allows it is so that he can lift it up. Is so that he can strengthen you. Is so that he can be the strength of your heart and your portion forever. As he reminds you, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. You know, as we consider God coming to earth, our first takeaway is this, that one of God's greatest presence is God's presence. Please forgive the play on words. One of his greatest gifts to you is that he will never leave you, that you are never alone, that it doesn't matter who you can't be with and who is missing. He is right there. He knew and he loves you more than you know. God showed up so powerfully at Christmas. And so this presence is what we're talking about today, and, and we're in week four of our series, Unexpected Christmas. And we've been taking a look at all the unexpected details. If you want to catch up online, you can. We took a look in the first week at Jesus' family tree, that it highlighted all of the sinners and shocking details, because Jesus came exactly for sinners. And today, as we read from John, we're going to hear of his presence in this world, but why it's kind of surprising. Knowing what he knew and, and how he came anyway, it's kind of unexpected. And so that's what we're going to unearth today as we look towards John chapter 1. You know, as we read the word of God, I'm going to invite you to just stand as we hear what we believe is the voice of God, a reading again from John chapter 1. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is our Savior Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of this fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The powerful words of God coming to be with us. Before you sit down, could you just say out louder to someone next to you, you are never alone. You are never alone. You are never alone. Please be seated. You know, you're going to have to forgive me. I am still new in the area. Um, my wife and I have lived here for 12 years, um, but uh, that's not like the rest of, of Chicagoland, at least in the south side. Uh, there are many people who, 95% uh, of the people I meet have grown up in this place, very familiar with this place. And because of that, I didn't recognize 
and it, I didn't recognize how intense the rivalry between the Sox and the Cubs were. See, I thought we were just playing games. But, but I didn't know how deep these roots are. I'm, I'm learning a little bit. And um, I'm, I'm learning about the Crosstown rivalry. And, um, and I don't know if you've ever been to one of them. And I don't know if you've ever been to Wrigley wearing a Sox jersey or been to Guaranteed Rate Field Stadium Bank. Um, is that I, I got it right? I don't know. You've been to that one and wearing a Cubs jersey. But I do know that if you've had that experience and if you were all around the different side, you probably felt unwelcome. You probably felt unwanted. I don't know. I, I hope they, they kept it calm enough. You, you might have gotten a look, though. What are you doing here, right? Um, why are you wearing that? And I bring this up because um, wh whether you've had that experience or not, I think we all know what it is at one point or another to feel unwelcomed and unwanted. Now, that's a heavy topic. Um, I was talking to our teens last night, and um, it's interesting. I don't think you can grow up through childhood without ever experiencing, like, the cool group. And at one point or another, you not being part of that cool group. Everyone had a sleepover, and they invited everyone but you. They all sat at that table, but there was no spots for you. And if you've ever had this experience of feeling unwanted or unwelcome, you want to leave as fast as you can. If they've made it clear they don't want you here, it's not comfortable to sit. You just kind of bide your time until finally you can leave and be by yourself because that's just not fun for anyone. And I have a reason why I brought this up. When Jesus comes into the world... Look at what Scripture says was the reception and the feeling of Jesus Christ. It said, He came to that which was His own, but His own didn't receive Him. He came to a world where He was wearing the wrong colors, where they were cool and He wasn't, where they wanted nothing of Him. In fact, I consider this when I read about Jesus going to His hometown. Um, Jesus started his ministry, and he went back to the town of Nazareth. And he was in the synagogue, and he basically told everyone in the synagogue there that he was the Messiah. I'm it. And if you're from that town of Nazareth, you think of how they could have reacted. Yes, the Messiah comes from Nazareth. Hometown boy makes good. The Messiah is here. It's not how they reacted. When Jesus said, no, I'm it. Look at what they said. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense. They took it even further. In fact, the scripture goes on and says they led Jesus to a cliff, and they were about to throw him off of it. And they would have, but his time did not come. About a reception. But here is a very comforting truth. And our first takeaway when it comes to our lesson today, God's presence is for you and for the people of the world, even when you don't want them. 
What's amazing is that he still went to Nazareth. He still stood in the synagogue. He still did what he did, even though he knew what the reaction would be. You know, I consider this, I was reading about a man named Jacob, and Jacob was a deceiver. His name means heel grabber. And Jacob had done some things that, if anyone should not have God's presence, it was Jacob. See, uh, Jacob deceived and stole his Esau brother's uh, birthright and also the blessing. Uh, Jacob uh, tried to dress up like Esau to steal the blessing from the father who was blind. And Esau hated this move. Esau, the brother, wanted to kill Jacob, and so Jacob had to run away from home. And while Jacob was on the run, after just deceiving his family, his brother, he's hated. God shows up to Jacob after what he did. God still shows up. And God, in his grace and mercy, says, Jacob, I know what you did, but guess what? I'm still going to go with you. And I'm going to bless you. In fact, all people will be blessed through you. And that was the promise of the Messiah. And if anyone shouldn't have had God's presence in a moment, that was Jacob in that moment. But God came anyway. It's like the presence of God between Cain and Abel when Cain killed Abel and God showed up and said, where's your brother? Like when David was doing his bad activity and yet God sent the prophet Nathan. When Adam and Eve rebelled and yet God still showed up and said, where are you? Because God comes to people even when they don't want him. And now I look at our age. Have people run away from God? Do people run towards many other things rather than the Savior, the Messiah? Let me make it more personal. Where do you run to instead of running first towards the Savior. You know, it's interesting. We all have had times where we've run to other things. And it's interesting that in 2020, God has been working to strip away the things we've run towards. In 2020, he's stripping away. No, you want to just live for pleasure? I'm going to take some of that away. You want to live just for sports? I'm going to take some of that away. You want to live just for a career? Let me take some of that away. You want to live for that? And he's stripping all of these away. Why? Because of his mercy and grace. Because he will convince you you need him. Whether you want to own that fact or not. He will convince you there is a Messiah a savior of the world, something so much beyond the American gods that we would otherwise run after. And so God comes to us anyway, even for the times we've run towards other things. But there's more here that is so good. And to continue on, I, I wonder how many of you have looked at Christmas lights yet this year. Maybe you've been to the New Lenox Commons or Tinley Park. Um, we, we took our teens on a, a scavenger hunt, and we saw a winner of the Christmas light fight. Uh, we went to a house and looked pretty incredible. And uh, it's always interesting to me that whenever you try to point out certain things to, to people in the car, there's always someone who misses it. 
I don't know if it's uh, your brother or sister. You say, hey, did you see the snowman? You're like, what? I can't wear it. Where's the snowman, right? Uh, there's always someone who you have to drive by a couple times because they, they missed it the first time, right? Can you see the snowman? And then I bring this up because what happens in the car ride is, is also what happened when Jesus showed up. Now, Jesus was as prominent as the snowman here on the roof, and yet, look at what Scripture said. It said, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And, and it's interesting, because like, he's, he's prominent. And you think of the people he came to. He came to a culture and a people who out of all people should have known. The Jews. See, the Jews were given the list for the scavenger hunt of the Messiah. The Jews had the promises that would point exactly to Jesus. When you look at the Old Testament, consider this one. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel. They knew it was going to be Bethlehem. Or what about this next one? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. They knew. In fact, so when Jesus shows up in Nazareth years later, and the Nazarites would have known the hubbub over Mary. Mary, you got pregnant without getting married? Oh. Out of all people, they should have been, of course, this is the one. It all makes sense now. This is the Messiah. God showed up, stopped the car, said, look at the snowman, and yet they missed it. Maybe bigger. Have you ever wondered, why doesn't my friend know the Lord? Why doesn't my family member know the Lord? Why don't they see what I see? I would give anything for them to see what I see, to see the snowman, to see the Messiah. Why? It's because of our natural state. Do you know how we come into the world? Scripture tells us, as for you, you were, can you say that word, you were, what can a dead thing see? No matter how much you talk to a dead thing, will it ever hear? God says you were dead. And that was spiritually. And so how do we come to life? How do we have eyes to see and finally believe? Here's where we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says. It says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so if today you know that there is a Savior, Jesus, it's because of the Spirit's work to make a dead thing alive. Now some of you might ask, well then how can I get the Spirit? And that's why today is a celebration because today we have a baptism. And I can't wait for that moment for Eliana. And what is God doing in baptism? It's a washing of rebirth. And this isn't a physical birth. She's already been born. This is a spiritual birth. Where Peter even said, repent, be baptized, and you receive the gift of the Spirit. And so how awesome to have Eliana give eyes to see Jesus, her Savior. 
What a beautiful thing. You know what amazing love? It's, it's why we invite people to church. And it's why we share our faith. Because we know if they just get around this message, if they hear the message of Christ, faith comes from hearing the message. And then they'll have eyes to see as well. And so when I consider this, I consider also the greatest gift. The greatest gift that anyone can ever receive or ever be given is the ability to see Jesus through the eyes of faith. When all the toys break and the cell phone becomes obsolete, you no longer wear the clothes and you moved on from that house and that car, you will still need a Savior. And if you can see him today, if you know he is the one who not only lived, died, but rose again, if you can see his love, that he has loved you first and best, if you can see him reigning and ruling and someday reigning forever, if you have eyes to see the place he's preparing for you, there is no, greatest, no greater gift. Because the greatest presence of God is God's presence in our hearts through faith. What an incredible thing. May God give you eyes to see, even as you might be watching right now. But there are benefits of having God come to us. Benefits of having the eyes of faith. And to talk about this, um, it's interesting, I started by saying, you know, Christmas can be heavy because we miss our family. It's interesting to me that Christmas can also be heavy because we have to see our family. Can we talk a little bit about the obligatory family functions? Can we be real? You know, this is a time of conflict. I was reading a lot of articles, and one survey I found, and I don't know why they wanted to survey this, but they found that 75% of people find at least one person in their family annoying. And, and I don't know what you did with that kind of comment, but for me it made me very self-conscious because I'm like, I'm that guy, aren't I? They're going to hate when Dustin shows up. He's here. All right. And it's funny because we can all relate to it, right? And, and don't, like, you know, elbow the person next to you, especially if it's them. But we all know, like, there's someone that, like, I have a hard time getting along with. Well, beyond annoyances... Um, they're also the passive-aggressive behaviors, the comments that families make. So, you aren't married yet? Did you hear how your brother did on that test? You voted for who? It's amazing when family gets together. In fact, because this is so common, conflict in family, there's also a whole list of articles saying how you can avoid it. I was reading about monitoring the tone of your voice, making sure that you seek to understand someone's point of view, even if you don't agree with it. They even just said, sometimes you just need to go outside. <laughs> because here's the reality. On this side of heaven, there's no perfect family. There's no family that always gets along and everything is completely copacetic. Rather, there is hurt, there is conflict, there's heartache. But this is why I love God's presence among us. Because God says, as a result 
of faith. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What he's telling you, you have a better family. See, when your earthly family passes away, and it will sooner than you know, your eternal family will mean so much more. And right now, you have a perfect parent. Someone with unfailing love. Someone who knows you completely and knows how to give exactly what you need, even when those in charge don't. And someday you'll have perfect siblings without favoritism and comparison, without mom or dad telling you what to do, without worrying about conflicts of the past or the present or the future. Can you see it? That day when, when family completely gets along through the eyes of faith, can you see it? That's yours because of Jesus Christ. And so what we know is this, that God's presence among us includes a perfect family. But then I wanted to do something with this word, and I wanted to give you some homework. If it's true that there is conflict in the family, if it's true that among sinners it's hard to get along, then I challenge you to do this, to go and infuse your family gatherings with God's presence. And I realize how hard this is. Because if your life is anything like mine, it doesn't matter how old you get, you fall into the same family script. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can get married, you can have children, you can have master's degrees, and you can be 55 years old, but in your family script, you are still either the baby or the eldest, you're the late one or you're the lazy one, you're the annoying one or the teaser. You know what I'm talking about. And so better than falling into that family script is what if right now, as you think of your interactions with your family, you started praying. And you started praying, God, help me to show them you. Help me to avoid all the negativity, all the different ways that it goes wrong, and help them to see you through me. Let me lead in love and forgiveness, and grace, and kindness, and understanding. And if we all did that, <laughs> maybe Christmas 2020 could go even better than expected. But there's a final thought before we leave today. And to talk about this, um, I know there's some kids in the room, soon the day is coming where you will unwrap all those Christmas gifts. I don't know if there's anyone looking forward to that. And it's always interesting to me, kind of like preparing a meal, where you can spend so much time preparing the meal, and then eating the meal is like, and we're done. And so Christmas gift giving and then opening is kind of in the same regard. You spend all this time sweating over what you're going to give to that person, those children. You sweat over, are they going to get it for me? And then after, you know, a few seconds, it's, it's done. And I'm not sure how your family does it. In our family, um, growing up uh, in the Bloomers, uh, we went gift by gift and we paused to reflect, you know, and say, oh, so-and-so gave this and ah and ooh and go thank them. <laughs> My wife's one of seven. And so they just hand out all the gifts and all at once, boom. 
because otherwise they'd be up till 2 a.m. But, but regardless, um, it always goes really quickly. You know what I love about being part of God's family? Is that though Christmas presents might run out, the gifts that he gives never do. You know, the scripture told us, out of the fullness of him, we receive grace upon grace. And I could actually go on upon grace, upon grace, upon grace forever. And my mind was filled with wonderful thoughts when it came to this passage. In the Bible, it says he has incomparable riches of grace. In the Bible, it calls it glorious grace. And I thought, well, first of all, the primary grace would be that he came, lived, died. He gave me faith to receive that gift. That would be grace enough. But grace upon grace, he's given me my own family. And grace upon grace, he provides And grace upon grace, he's with me. And grace upon grace, he works out everything for my good. And grace upon grace, he will take me to be in heaven. And grace upon grace, he forgives my sins. Grace upon grace upon grace. This is our God. So God's presence here among us means that we have gifts that will never end. Each day that you live, you can wake up knowing he's got a gift for you. Better than you deserve the gift of life to live under his love and peace, the gift of forgiveness for any and all sin, his grace goes on and on and on. Commentator said this, kind of old school terminology, but I like the way he put it. The fount of mercy never dries up. Ever and again, fresh grace and mercy appears over and above that already received. Because sin abounds and ever again, brings on transgressions. Therefore, grace and mercy must abound still more, and it does. In Jesus, you have grace upon grace upon grace. And so this Christmas, if your heart was heavy, may he lift you up with the reality that you are not alone. May he comfort you with grace upon grace, and may this grace even extend to your own gatherings as he uses you to be God's presence among them. Amen.